one thing that I loved about uh, the last four years or so of my life was uh, living around the world. Although home is now upstate New York, uh, living in different countries in Europe and then uh, Scotland and the United Kingdom gave me this one gift, which was there's not one right way of doing things. <laughs> and and I also got to experience, too, what, what, it, what it truly feels like to be an outsider. Uh, to sometimes not fit, and then the importance just of of being connected. Uh, obviously, having friends, but just being connected, right, and having a space where I felt like I, I truly belonged. And that was something today's guest, Michelle Mattoon, experienced as well, moving around the world. And, and we dig into a story of uh, moving to Ghana in third grade, I believe, and then moving back to. Uh, the Midwest, Ohio, uh, maybe when, I don't know, she was 12 or so, although I could be off with those dates. Um, you're going to love that story. And then we're going to talk about belonging, which is great. And if you don't know Michelle already or, or you're familiar with her name, uh, she is the executive director of the National School Reform Faculty, NSRF, which is just super duper amazing when it comes to protocols, right? We've probably all use them at some point or gone to their trainings. And so this is a great conversation. Uh, so glad you're here. Hey, it's Danny and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out of the box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. Self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Apply now for our cohorts at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash B-L-B-S. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey there, Ruckus Makers. Today, uh, we're in for a treat. I'm joined with one of my new favorite people, Michelle Mattoon, who's been the executive director of the National School Reform Faculty, NSRF, since 2010, as well as the National International Virtual Facilitator with NSRF for over 20 years. She has developed and written many protocols, activities, articles, and trainings for Critical Friends Group work. Michelle also owns a consulting firm, Coltrane Group, that works with businesses outside of education. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Nice to be here. So if I remember correctly, you grew up in Ghana. 
And I would love to just hear what that experience was like. Yeah. So my family moved to Ghana, Africa when I was in third grade. So I was nine years old. Um, I was there through um, 12 years old. So really my formative years were spent um, in Ghana. And this was in the early 70s. So it was a very interesting time. My dad was transferred there because he worked for Kaiser Aluminum and they had a bauxite plant there, processing plant there. So people from all over the world were there. So I had really a multicultural experience with friends from Greece and India and obviously Ghana and um, England and U.S. It was uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience for me, for sure. And I know, obviously, uh, like you said, you, you moved there while you were young, so you're not uh, native from from Ghana. And just curious, what it's like to grow up in a, a place um, uh, that isn't uh, where you're from necessarily, right? And and yeah, just to be around people that that are different. Yeah. So, I mean, in my family, we're used to moving every two or three years anyway. Um, my dad got transferred a lot. And, you know, it was interesting thinking about the transition as a, as a kid. I'm sure it was much harder for my parents or especially my mother um, than it was for me or my siblings. But, you know, when we moved there, there was such an amazing community. You know, you had an immediate sense of belonging because of everybody was there to help you get acquainted and show you the ropes and and Ghana is just an amazing country and so dear to my heart. Um, you know, the people were were so friendly there. And, you know, it, it's funny, a lot of people say, well, weren't, you know, did it feel dangerous? Or it's like, no, <laughs> like it was one of the safest places ever. And I, I really do remember as a kid, you know, if I were, was running and falling down on the sidewalk, scraping my knees, instantly there would be like five people there helping me up and brushing me off. And are you okay? You know, oh, I'm so sorry, sorry that you're, you know, you're hurt. And it, it was just an amazing experience to also as a kid be, you know, be exposed to so many different cultures and especially live in a different culture that was so different than the one I lived in. It really had a profound impact on me, but in such a good way. I mean, it was amazing. The harder thing to do was to leave Ghana and go back to the country where I was born, which was supposed to be my home, right. and feel like it was no longer my home for the longest period of time. So that was much more eye-opening in that way. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. I have to give a shout out because I don't know if they're listening, but uh, Korkor, Kwabana, Kwesi, Tato, if you're listening, uh, they're all from Ghana and I love them so much. Oh, so hi guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I lived in Tema right near Accra when I was a kid. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. They will know. Yep. For sure. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, you said m moving quote unquote home was uh, a little rough, so to speak. And um, I don't I don't know if the next stop was 
Ohio for you, uh, but I know that you eventually ended up there. And yeah, could you unpack how that experience was uh, different? Yeah, I mean, it was really tough for me. And again, this was a long time ago, so I don't want to diss on Ohio now. Yeah, yeah, sure. But, you know, it, it was a little town in Ohio. And again, you know, we're talking probably mid 70s now. Right. And, uh, or maybe even earlier than that. But, you know, we, very few people, you know, came and went there. It really was mm-hmm. a town where people were born there and lived there and, and died there. And many people didn't, you know, travel um, far at that point. And it was, uh, you know, just feeling very other the whole time. And, you know, having been raised even in the Midwest, but actually moving all over the United States, it just, it was really, really difficult to find a place. And because I didn't know any of like what was cool or how to talk or how to dress or, you know, what to look like. And the whole time we were there, I I didn't ever feel accepted. So it was interesting because I wasn't, well, I was bullied a little bit, but mostly it was, you just not, not acknowledged, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, on the edges of everything always. So it it was not um, the the best nurturing environment for me anyway. Being there, yeah. And if if you're on the fringe fringes there, um, w- would it be uh, appropriate to say like just maybe you didn't feel uh, accepted or folded into the mix on some levels? Oh, without a doubt. I I don't think I ever ever felt accepted. I mean, I had a couple of really good friends, um, but that was it. That was where you know, it it stopped. And yeah, I think it was the first time in my life I'd ever experienced something um, so drastic as that, you know, that it was just so encompassing to every aspect of my life as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So how did those experiences moving around the world and experiencing all these different cultures, uh, how did that inform who you became as a human being and then professionally? Yeah, I don't think I I certainly wouldn't be the same person without it. I mean, I think that's why I'm here as the executive director of an organization that's global. Um, You know, we work with educators all around the world. And I travel a lot for work, or I did before the pandemic happened. Um, And I plan to uh, again. And, you know, it's, you know, my love of people and learning about different people and other cultures. And just it made me a more empathetic person, you know, having been through that experience of knowing what it felt like not to belong, to be excluded, uh, you know, made me much more empathetic to others who, who may have that same feeling. And really, because it had such a profound effect on me, I understand the profound effect it can have on other people. And so a big part of my job now is creating that sense of belonging within a community. You know, that's what we do with critical friends groups when we do trainings. This is a group. These are your people. This is the place that if you need help, you can go here. It's a safe space. Everybody has a stake in your success. Everybody is there to help you, not to evaluate you or judge you or, you know, and you're there to help other people. And and that's, you know, what we do. That's the important piece. 
Right. You know, you, you have a uh, provocative idea that I like, and um, you mentioned to me that there's no growth mindset without belonging. And so if you could unpack and riff on that for a bit, I think the ruckus maker listening would find tremendous value in it. Yeah, it's so interesting. So, you know, I, I had this idea of, of how important belonging was, but I really didn't have, you know, how to articulate it or package it in my mind or, you know, whatever that was. But, you know, when Carol Dweck came out with her, her big growth mindset book and, and, you know, that was a huge thing. A few years after that, I was connected with the growth mindset folks at Stanford University um, who were doing this new website called Perts, which is actually a great website, by the way, if you want to get all sorts of free resources mm-hmm. um, for growth mindset, perts.com, P-E-R-T-S capital.com. So they wanted to make this training about growth mindset, but they didn't sort of want to um, reinvent the wheel. The LA school district had gotten this grant to roll this out. So they wanted to partner with me and we together did a training um, using our protocols and really um, incorporating it through the lens of growth mindset. So while we were doing that together, that we started talking about belonging and, you know, how they are incorporating belonging mindset. And as we went through it, both of us, um, Jackie Bobien, by the way, was the person that I worked with. I don't think she's working with them any longer, but she and I came to the same conclusion that there is no growth mindset without belonging. I mean, we felt the communities that we worked with, the teachers who had a strong sense of belonging, really took to the the work and really grew exponentially. And a lot of the, the discussions we had with students, it became really clear that that was the important thing because to be able to grow and learn, you have to feel safe. You have to feel valued, like you're a part of things. You have to feel like people care about you and care about your needs and and respect you and your, you know, what you can bring to the table. And that's just such an important piece. And the other uh, learning mindset that they talk about, which goes with growth and belonging also is purpose and relevance. Like, does this, what I'm learning, does that serve a higher purpose that I want in my life to help my community or my family or, you know, whatever it is that I want to bring to the table. And is what I'm learning relevant to me? Mm-hmm. You know, is it culturally relevant? Is it intellectually relevant? You know, emotionally relevant? You know, all those, is it relevant? So I think those learning mindsets really help me think about belonging and, and growth and apply it to my work. You know, what we yeah. do here at NSRF when we create trainings for people and create those safe spaces. Right. That's such a brilliant point. You know, we, we think about growth and fixed mindsets so much in education now. And I think we, we just consider, okay, how do we help people? It's not that you're so smart or whatever it's that you're working hard and learning from your mistakes, but you've gone a, a layer or two deeper. And in, what I'm hearing you say is unless you have that connection, you feel that safety within a within a group and know your part in the community, uh, it's really difficult to have that growth kind of mindset. And that's just, yeah, I really, really, really appreciate that point. Yeah. 
One thing, um, you know, I'd love to hear because you, you talked about how you integrated that into your into your work. Can you uh, make that visible or make it real for the ruckus maker listening? So, yeah. What does that look like when you integrate belonging into the culture? So when we do our particular work, which is training people to have these learning communities, these professional learning communities and use our protocols, which are basically just structured ways of talking to one another that provide safety, but also get you where you want to go in an efficient and effective time. So when we do our trainings, the first thing we talk about the first day or two is really about creating that container of safety and trust that is needed before somebody can bring their imperfect work to the table or can, you know, something that they're struggling with, you know, a a professional dilemma that they might have. So we get to know each other by having real conversations. People share their stories. They talk about what brought them to education. What do they feel deeply about this profession, about their students, about each other and the world, you know, we, we build on that. And by building on that and getting to know each other, we can have really frank conversations um, that allow us then to give really honest feedback, skillfully given. (laughs) So we teach people (laughs) how to really, you know, give it the right way. I mean, because what words you choose make a difference, right? And, and so that when people hear feedback, they can take it as instead of evaluation and judgment, they can take it as help. And here are just some ideas. Pick the ones you think are going to work for you because you know your situation better than anybody. But, but here's some, you know, here's some little gifts for you. <laughs> Pick which ones you like. I always say they're like a but you know, feedback is like a box of chocolates. You just take the ones you like. It's still chocolate, but you don't want to eat everything. That's okay. Other people can eat those. <laughs> and and nobody's going to get offended if you don't take everybody's I, you know, suggestions. So it's um I think it's a very respectful atmosphere, but it is based on belonging. It's based on that trust that's built and you need time to do it. It just doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in 20 minutes. You know, these are communities of people that should be meeting with each other the way you talk about mastermind groups, right? These are the people that should be meeting together continuously over time to get deeper and deeper and really, you know, more and more helpful to one another as they get to know each other. Wonderful. Well, Michelle, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing this conversation. We're going to pause here, though, just for a second for a message from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. Courses include leading change, leading schools, leading people, and leading learning. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. 
Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Michelle Mattoon, the Executive Director of the National School Reform Faculty, uh, as well as the founder of the Coltrane Group, her consulting firm. So thank you, Michelle. Um, This has been a lovely conversation. Uh, One of the things I want to ask you, because I I believe probably the ruckus maker listening should be aware of the work of NSRF, you know, just what do you what do you love about the work? I love everything about the work. (laughs) (laughs) I have the best job in the world. Yeah. I love this work because I deeply and truly feel that everybody should have the experience that we try to give people that that they learn ways of being able to talk to each other and have difficult conversations right and that that they're honest without being offensive and that you know people work and move together rather than being divided and i think this is what this work is about and that's why i i did develop the coltrane group because I quickly realized, you know, this is not just a training for educators. Like everybody can benefit from this. If you're a human being that works with other human beings and groups, you can benefit from this. And so I, I really do truly believe that, you know, it does help the world to, to know this work. And I felt the same way as a teacher. You know, I felt like, okay, I'm doing something good here. I always tell teachers, you never have to worry when you're on your deathbed. Did I do something important or good? Yes, you did. You don't have to worry about that. You touch somebody in a, in a positive way, whether you know it or not, you know, and you send those ripples out into Mm -hmm. the world. And I, I feel like this this work does that. Yeah, I connect with that so much. Uh, one of my core values, I call the ripple effect, right? And it's just thinking about that one lead action that will take care of many other actions and uh, either make them easier or unnecessary, but also something that's expansive and has almost exponential impact, you know, from that one move. So thank you for uh, painting that picture. And you're right, you know, the, the work that you do, um, certainly serves education, but can serve the world because the the human experience at times could be messy and chaotic. And what these uh, protocols do give us a a little bit of certainty and a path forward, right? And uh, some guardrails to 
play within to be be successful. So speaking of protocols, I'm, I'm wondering if there's one or two that you'd like to highlight uh, that are maybe some of your favorite. Um. Oh gosh. Yeah. So I will, I will say that there are three that probably get used the most, I okay. think, out of all of ours. And, um, and I like them, uh, for sure. <laughs> I think that the three are really useful. So the yeah. first one is one that we call Chalk Talk. And it's a protocol where um, it's so widely useful. Um, it can be used to plan, to brainstorm to um, just get feedback. It, it's an amazing protocol. So you just, you take a big um, sheet of butcher paper or a lot of chart papers all put together on the wall. This is the old fashioned way of doing it. You can do it on a whiteboard and you put a question in the middle, like what are all the things I need to do to incorporate hands-on learning in my biology lesson, right? Or what are um, what are all the ways we notice bullying in the school? Or, you know, in what ways do we, what are, what are all the successes we had this school year, right? Whatever it is. And then everybody has a marker and it's completely in silence. Nobody talks. You just go up and you start writing. And it's like a graffiti wall, but it, the nice part is that I can write something and then I can comment on what somebody else writes and I can write a little emoji or I can connect two ideas. And then we have it all out there and we can take that information and then use it for whatever comes next, right? Oh, here are the important points. So that one can be used with, I've used it with my first and second graders, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have a little question and they can like write stuff and draw pictures. And, you know, so it's really a, lo a lovely protocol and it's quick. Like you can do it in 10 to 15, 20 minutes, really. And then you've got it done. There's one called the tuning protocol, which is uh, you have a lesson plan or a piece of work, some kind of concrete. It could be even like a website page or a video. And what that protocol does is you give warm feedback. Here are the things that we really love about this piece of work and keep those. Don't, don't change them in any way. And then a really essential to our protocols is what we call the focus question, which is, I'm going to tell you what exactly I want feedback around. And the participants can only give you feedback around that thing. So if I say, Again, with the hands-on activities, here's my lesson plan. I really like it. Just what, what kind of hands-on activities? Then I can get a lot of suggestions about that. Or how, not really crazy about the way I give directions here. How can I make that clear to my students? Mm -hmm. So I can get all sorts of great ideas about how to make those directions clear. So it's, um, so you get the, the positive feedback and you also get the suggestions. Um, that we call cool feedback. So you walk away with that. People do that your work for you, which is what I love about it. <laughs> Anybody have anything to do? Yes, I do. You guys do my work for me. Yay, thank you. And then the other one is a dilemma protocol where I have a professional dilemma, the consultancy or the dilemma analysis. And I've tried so many different things and just none of them are working. And it's something that I think about at three o'clock in the morning or when I'm driving to work, 
you know, can you help me with it? And so the idea of that protocol is just that people, you know, they listen to you, they ask clarifying questions, they ask you probing questions to deepen your thinking, they analyze what do they think is really happening. And then at the end, they give you some suggestions about where you might go from there. But I'll tell you the the key to that one, the one that really helps people the most is not the suggestion so much as often just hearing other people analyzing your dilemma, because Mm -hmm. it really does show you perspectives and um, make your assumptions visible that normally you you would never have because you kind of get stuck in your own problem with blinders. So this kind of like takes those blinders away. And it's like, ah, you can look at your dilemma in a whole new um, way. So those are three wonderful protocols. Thank you for sharing those. And uh, we'll link up your website too, so people can find those protocols um, as well. And uh, maybe, you know, engage in some of your trainings and that kind of thing. Speaking of trainings, I know you've had had to pivot uh, like all of us um, during the pandemic. And so you've got a new learning platform and you're offering some uh, virtual training. So just could you share some ideas there? Yeah, like everybody in the world. We had to figure out what we could do from, you know, our yeah. own offices, right? It was crazy or our own offices in our home. Um, and uh, so we had always been in a in-person training because we felt like that belonging piece was so important, sure. right? And we face-to-face and didn't really think we could replicate that online. and wasn't sure, but we had to. So we, it really was the impetus to sort of nudge us across that line. And, um, and so we rewrote all of our protocols so they could work virtually. And yes, we found that you can create a really lovely sense of belonging online. It's harder. I think there, there is, there's a lot of different things that have to happen for that to happen, but The great thing about it is it does work and that now we're accessible in ways that we never were before. I mean, we've had people just recently, we've had some people from China, you know, request a virtual training uh, rather than trying to send everybody to the U.S. or to send one of our facilitators to them. You know, we can just meet with them and Mm. it's cheaper and it's accessible. So I think in some ways, it just was such a huge plus for us. It was definitely the silver lining, you know, the cloud in the dark cloud. And I think a lot of people are finding little bits of that. I know, you know, in teaching, I don't think education is going to be the same. You know, certainly we know that it is important for people to be face to face, but thinking about the best ways to use that virtual environment, I think, is going to make what we do better. Right, right. Well, Michelle, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world just for a day, what would your message read? Okay, well, it's a marquee, so it has to be fairly short, right? I, this is the hard one, Danny, but here's here's what I came up with. Okay. Uh, so on the marquee in big letters would be our school's priority to make sure everyone in this community feels they belong and has equitable access to all resources so that they may all happily learn and grow. 
Beautiful. That's a long message, but. Well, it could be one of the ones that scrolls, right? Yeah, there you go. That's right. That's right. It works. It still works. (laughs) And Michelle, if you were building a school from the ground up, you're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation would be your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Okay. Well, I, I think just, you know, thinking about just the physical building, you know, I think it's really important. It would be great to have lots of outdoor space where kids could spend time in nature and explore and grow and, and actually have play outside. Inside, I, I really love the idea of having larger collaborative spaces so kids can work on projects together, but also have very quiet little spaces where kids could quietly do their work if they need that space or just to chill out and have some, you know, quiet time. I think that it would be great to have resources that would help each kid depending on their learning style. You know, I think it started out with seven intelligences. Now I think it's nine intelligences. Everybody learns in different ways. And so, you know, to be able to match the kid up with the resources they need to learn best would be wonderful. And I've often thought that, you know, we we spend so much time just, you know, judging kids by their academic achievement, whatever that means. I hope people don't just do it with standardized tests, but I think it's really important to get kids prepared for the world. You know, how do I be healthy? How, how do I know how to solve conflicts and conflict resolution? Do I know how to build a community for myself or benefit a community, give back to the community? And I think that the kid's voice, like if you're going to live in democracy, you should learn how to live in a democracy. That means that the environment you're in has to hear your voice and you have to have an effect on that. So, you know, obviously this is a very progressive education thing. I'm a big progressive education. I taught in a progressive school. But this idea that as kids get older, they should have more responsibility, they should have more choice and more voice um, about what they do and how they do it. And even, you know, when things go wrong, how do I make up for that? Or how do we make things right? Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, Michelle, we covered a lot of ground in today's episode of all the things we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker? To remember? Well, I number one, I love the ruckus idea because it's kind of this like <laughs> you're shaking things up, but really in a happy, abandoned sort of way. And I just, I love that energy. But you also, when I think of a ruckus, it's like you have a bunch of people with you mm. and you're, you're kind of the, um, you know, you're the, the, the benign troublemaker, right? You're, you're the people that are out there doing good in the world by shaking things up. And I think that that's, you know, what we need to do. And But we all have to really, you know, make sure that everybody is part of their own band of ruckus makers, right? We, we really want to, to make sure that we're, we're somehow we're all in there together in one way or another. So that's where I'll leave it. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. 
If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.